you're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, my guest is Ravi Lachman, the field CTO at Shippa, which is an application as code product. And don't worry, we'll get into what that means in the show. Over the years since Docker and Kubernetes were created, we've seen the number of abstractions for everything from how we describe the low-level architecture of our infrastructure up through how our application works to how our application works with other applications. We've seen all that grow. And how we define our infrastructure and our apps, usually in YAML and other configuration and templating languages, has gotten quite complicated and the waters have gotten muddy, I think. Shippa is focused on that layer above the infrastructure where application developers can avoid other Kubernetes manifest tools like Helm or Customize and create a cleaner contract between what their application needs are and how the infrastructure provides them. I look at it as actually a competitor possibly to a compose file, but it's designed for server infrastructure. If you've done Kubernetes YAML long enough, you know that it can get quite complex and verbose, and that it requires both infrastructure and developer roles or knowledge to fully configure it. So you kind of got to know both worlds. It's, it's a little tricky. But Shippa wants to fit in the middle somewhere, not replacing the infrastructure tools like Terraform or Crossplane, but rather working on top of them, providing you an easier way to describe your apps from a dev's point of view and how they work atop your infrastructure. It focuses on the application requirements, not necessarily how those requirements are implemented, which I like. Ravi takes our questions and then shows off a demo of the UI and developer experience of Shippa. And we take some questions from the chat on how Shippa is compared to other standards for describing our applications in common configuration languages. I think this space is super interesting because we don't yet really have a standard for servers. We definitely all like Docker Compose, at least I do, but it hasn't quite had a fit in production Kubernetes deployments. And I feel that when you jump from Compose in your learning process straight to Kubernetes Manifest, the learning curve is steep. And we really do need a couple of industry standards for describing our app requirements without resorting to thousands of lines of Kubernetes YAML. So maybe Shippa is going to be one of those. I don't know, but it's an interesting product nonetheless. And let's jump in to this episode with Robbie Lockman of Shippa. Hello, my name is Brett. This is my show talking about basically DevOps and containers and where they intersect because containers are basically my favorite thing of the last nine years. Happy birthday to Docker. And we're going to talk today about more of the abstractions that Docker has basically caused in the industry, where we first had containers and images, and then we all learned about orchestration, and then we learned a little bit about what GitOps might look like or operations as Git version controlled systems, and we've talked about that a lot on this show. We're going to talk more about another abstraction or another idea around an abstraction and Shippa, the company, 
let's just get to it. On the show today, all the way from Atlanta, which is uh, a day's drive, a day or two drive maybe for me, is Ravi Lachman, all the way from Shippa. Hey, what's going on, Brett? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Very yeah. excited to be here. I'm glad to have you on. I've seen the Shippa name being floated around for a few years now, so I'm interested in getting into it. But before we talk about the product, let's talk about you. So you're the field CTO at Shippa. Give us a little summary of your career here. What, who are we dealing with today? Yeah, yeah. My name is Rami. Uh, I'm out of Atlanta. I'll start from the end. So I'm currently the field CTO uh, at Shippa. It was like a career aspiration of mine to, to kind of do this type of role. Very glad the founder gave me a call one day. I lead customer engineering and field engineering, so technical engagements, uh, advocacy, a one-man show currently, so it's not like I have a massive team, but hopefully as we get more funding, I'll be able to grow the team. Kind of in my background, I started as a software engineer, and then I was told I talked too much, and I went into consulting, and I was still told I talked too much, I went to pre-sales for a while, and then, yeah, I decided to kind of switch into last couple of roles. I went into advocacy. I'm really focusing on developer experience, engineering efficiency, and now here we are at Shiba. Very cool. Very cool. There's so many jobs related around containers, DevOps, cloud native. I, I get a lot of students and people that come in and ask about how did they get into DevOps? How do they change their career to focus more on cloud native? What tools should they learn first? And, and there's just a ton of stuff that people are dealing with. Do you have any particular advice, like any strategy for the people working with you or how do engineers who are maybe just now getting into containers or cloud native or all these higher levels of abstraction, any advice you got for them? I'm putting you on the spot. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a topic, we could take the whole hour talking about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> tell, tell me if I talk too much. Yeah. So I'm really passionate about the DevOps space. It really comes from like an intrinsic area. So like I'm an organizer for DevOps Days Atlanta, shameless plug. So we're very excited for the speakers and the community coming together finally back in person after a two year hiatus because of the pandemic. But where I came from was like, I remember I came from a very software engineering feature development background. And I used to think the enemy was a system engineer. Like they would tell me that, why is all the ports open? I yeah. disable SE Linux. So I'm like, I don't know, like it needs to talk. So I don't know what to lock it down. <laughs> and there was like the very error prone run books. I, I remember this is a little bit of a tangent. My very first legitimate job, I was living in Washington, DC. My first client uh, with the transportation security, I went for IBM at the time. So first client was the TSA and the, the portal that we were building had 153 steps. I remember that number till today. <laughs> 153 <laughs> steps that we had to hand yeah. to, to get it on some internal tsa.gov portal site. And it's like, oof, like, uh, I'm lucky I wrote that. Yeah. I'm sorry for the level two, level three folks, or the system engineer has to go deploy it. And there was always like back and forth. It took us like four weeks to deploy. No, no joke. Just like back in like, yeah. Oh, and, and, yeah. And if you and mess up a step, <laughs> who knows, you might have to start over. You absolutely had to start over. It's like, read the manual, please. It's like, I was much nicer than that. Like I was, I was like, oh, Louis, I get it. I, even I had trouble starting my own software, but they, that kind of played out, right? And just as my career progressed, it, it became more apparent that I was, you know, from, from a step up analyst level to all of a principal level engineer. And it's like, I, my, my livelihood is a bonus. The team's bonus is dependent on getting these features out. And so this is where I came into DevOps is that, oh, However, you want to reduce friction, reduce friction. There's two mindsets, the people who make the changes and the people who don't want to make the changes because it's risky. But if, if you're an engineer, it, it didn't happen overnight. Like I've been, you know, I'll tell Brett a little story how I came about learning about Docker, 
It's the most Georgia answer I could give anybody <laughs> like when I, when I first learned about it, but to just play with it, right? Okay. You know, if you like building features, you don't have to containerize something and Kubernetes it out. Just as if you're getting used to building something versus, oh, if you're working on the other side of the platform engineering side, don't be afraid to write a feature, right? So there's a lot to learn. The DevOps community is amazing. People like Brett out in the community, like just take your time. There's no one answer to it. And no, no one person knows everything. I've been doing this for you know, 15 years, right? And it's still, I learn something new every day. And I know it's a very like cliche answer I'm giving, but yeah, just kind of like pick one other area to either click up or click down into. Oh, okay. I, I know how to write something. Let me try to build, build an image or build something. Oh, I know how to do that. Let me, you know, if you're on the Kubernetes train, we yeah. try to spin up Mincube or K3D or, or like Rancher desktop and just keep going. Don't, don't stop. Then Nirvana will occur at some point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I think that obviously I think for a lot of us, you know, it's sure never stop learning, but also, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn. Like sometimes you just kind of wish, can I just be done with this learning? <laughs> can I just have it all known to me instead of feeling like even after nine years that I still don't know everything about Docker? It's like... I've, I have both feelings at the same time. Like, I can't wait to learn more. I was actually playing with some startup probe stuff in Kubernetes yesterday, trying to shift people's thinking from probes to init containers for startup. And I was learning some things about init containers. And I was like, man, I, I, I should have known this five years ago. We all have that uh, inside voice that doesn't that always expects us to know everything. And that's true. We definitely, I think knowing how to Google is probably... Well, not knowing how to Google, but knowing how to discern good information on the internet from bad information on the internet is an absolute life skill. I think we can all agree on that, that in anything you're doing, you got to separate oh, yeah. the wheat from the chaff. Like it's got, yeah. Well, one of the biggest benefits I think of from a people starting out of containerization is that you could just kind of recreate all the time. One of my life mottos, it's, I never got anything right the first time, like the older I've gotten, I were like the younger engineer. I'm like, oh, it works. If it worked the first time, it, it's not working. Yeah, <laughs> there's something something off with it. And so, like the, uh, one of the, the the great things about containerization is that it's disposable, right? So if you mess something up, try it again. You can't, you know, you can't screw up that bad. I mean, just keep keep going. You, you'll you'll fix it. Yeah. I destroyed lots of stuff. I I probably will destroy something today for all I know. <laughs> um, but it's it is it makes it easy to kind of like recreate this iterate, which is crucial to software engineering. Yeah, I think once you're trained on the habits of how we create images and that they're artifacts and that we everything is reproducible and that we start from a state of whatever I'm doing, I have to be able to reproduce. And that mindset, honestly, that's one of the big shifts that each team I train on is once they have the attitude of if I'm doing this once, I have to be able to do it again and, and have a reproducible results and instilling that in people's brains and then modularity, I think a little bit too. But that is like one of the key first humps i find people's once they've learned that approach they start to approach everything in infrastructure and application deployments and in all the ops things like they start approaching from that state and yeah. hopefully these documents of 100 and what was it 153 pages 153, 153 steps 153 steps I remember, yeah yeah, yeah that, that, that might turn into five steps but those five steps are easily reproducible or automatable or something yeah it's a different world now for sure than it was of creating a word document with screenshots back in the 2005 era of this is how you install sql <laughs> oh yeah sharepoint would suffer like upload 60 megabytes I, I remember it was a huge document like why yeah. is it taking so long yeah 
all hilarious. those images, man, all those bitmaps. So let me ask you about this applications as code. Okay, to bring other people up to speed, maybe, so there's this acronym we've had, I don't know, a decade maybe, kind of came out around the DevOps movement called infrastructure as code. And it it was a precursor a little bit to the idea of GitOps, which we've mentioned many times on the show, but if you're hearing all these terms, but to me, infrastructure as code is taking that reproducible commands or programming or configuration files and the key is it's reproducible and storing those we treat it like code even though it's maybe not code maybe it's just a simple bash script maybe that technically is code but if it's yaml i don't really call that code so that's technically i'm treating it like code right so i'm storing it in a, a git repo some repository somewhere like code repository and I'm assuming everyone's on Git right now because I think Stack Overflow said like 90 some percent everyone uses Git. So what I do, every once in a while, I see someone using something else. But I take that, I version it, I make commits to it, I use pull request workflow to change our infrastructure. That's part of how I see infrastructure as code. So can you help me understand what is application as code and how is that different than IAC? Yeah, yeah. One part of the irony would be, or are all applications code? <laughs> you know, like that's a really good <laughs> yeah. common thing that. I wanted to we, say it, all, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a, a little bit of a one click down answers, like where the founder and I came from going back, we were, you know, very, very astute software engineers and we were kind of thrown into the Kubernetes land, maybe not by choice a couple, like several years ago. From a feature development standpoint, like there's several, as a developer, there's several like non-functional requirements that we have to deal with. In fact, my personally, my biggest outage ever was a networking outage for being a Java developer. How was that even possible? Right? Yeah. Where's F5 engineer? There was not, it was a Kubernetes networking policy that did me in. So basically application is code. It's kind of providing an API level for non-functional requirements that an application engineer would need. I mean, the kind of our architecture spiel would be like, we're like Terraform, but for your apps. Let's say we have, you know, the Brett Fisher multiplex cinema application. Like, hey, we get just a lot of stuff that we have to do at, that's not functionality, right? We have to figure out communication. Who does that? We have to figure out storage. Yes. My answer is like, did your app need storage? Yes. <laughs> that is it, right? <laughs> it needs to come back also. If it goes away, please make a PDC. Like stuff right. like that, right? But the, the answer is usually sure. I need that, I think, for, for persistence. But it's not like there's a disconnect between the infrastructure and there's and a disconnect between, you know, today that's going to be you know, the system visual is, is Kubernetes where a lot of folks are going. And so, like, how do you get from an application uh, to be deployed, to be usable uh, for someone who's not a Kubernetes expert? And that's, that's where Shippa comes in, this concept of application as code. Very simply saying, hey, you know what? Ex in plain English, expose this, do that. You can only communicate here. And so it's it's kind of a, a two-ply thing. And, and we're still refining it too, right? Common when we talk to folks, it's like, hey, it seems like you do a lot. And it's like, we do, but we're trying to figure out what provides the most value. So we're still a pretty young, young company, right? Trying to, to fine-tune right. this radio dolls. Right. And also, so cheat code, I always get people cheats. I'm like, I'm the worst teacher's assistant because I was like, here's the answer. Like, you may figure it out. <laughs> Maybe uh, if I give you the answer, you can you can reverse engineer it and understand the question. Yeah. 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 That. That's how I like to learn. I'm just biased before it's reverse engineering things. It's like, so ship is a two-part thing. It's an abstraction layer, right? So one of the things I like to create is like, hey, a very simple developer experience. And also it's a policy layer, right? So like playing the duality of use cases that 
from a developer standpoint, I need ease and reducing toil to you know, get my idea out there versus from a business controls or a, a platform engineer DevOps standpoint, you can't just do everything. You, know, you can't have unfettered access to, to right. the cluster or, or to, to other things. That's just the world we live in. How do you enforce certain decisions, uh, abstraction decisions? So I know long, oh, there's potato head. Yeah, like a long, a long-winded answer I gave you, but it's Good. really begging you some. So maybe a similar question to the explanation of uh, what that is. Before we get into SHIPA, I mean, we, we're kind of getting, we're diving into SHIPA a little bit. But when I think about a new tool, and I'm very much, I, I tend to be a very solution-oriented person. So I'm talking about ideas and theories and stuff like that isn't near as exciting to me as actually getting hands-on and trying, understanding the problem first, and then trying to solve that problem with a tool or a process or a workflow or something like that, right? So when my brain works that way, I, th I look at something like Shippa and, and I hear this a AAC and I, and I think, okay, what does this do for me that, it's not so much what does this do for me that I couldn't do before, but what does this replace? If I didn't have this, what do I have to do that this is saving me from doing. Yeah, that makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, I'll, I'll take one more click in. Like from a developer standpoint, it would be first replacing a package manager like hell, right? So let's say that okay. I need to go, it's something that we talk with a lot of folks who are developers who might not prefer to use something like hell. And so Shippa, if you think of it, it's like also like a package format, right? So abstraction. So you're just like kind of telling Shippa, hey, this is my app, go forth and do stuff with it. Yeah. If Shippa wasn't there, right? So let's say you and I work, I don't know, but I like your, I like your movie theater. So Brett's, Brett's movies. Megaplex? You know, is it Megaplex? Yeah, Megaplex. <laughs> Brett, Brett flicks. Well, we'll be even bigger. <laughs> let's, go, let's go big here. So we, there's a lot of stuff that we would have to do. Like the platform engineering team might have to give you a bunch of helm templates saying, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be service owner. So you'll be yeah. platform engineering leader. Okay. okay, Ravi, look, here's several customized files or here's like several overlays or here's this massive Helm template that you and your team has to provide lots of values uh, into to get right. your, to get something into, you know, some sort of cluster somewhere to kind of edit it out. Now with those decisions, it is assuming that I have some knowledge or a lot of knowledge on not only Helm as a packaging format and a release manager, but also well, exactly what is this template doing for me? A lot of people might say, eh, you know what? It's cookie cutter and solves 70% of Netflix's services and about 30% let them do their own thing. But it is, can be stressful, right? Someone <clears throat> having to interact with those things for the first time. Yeah. It actually exposes a lot of Kubernetes concepts to you uh, for free. It's like, I've been using it for a while. So it's like, okay, I get it. Team to team, I expect to do this. But for folks who are getting started or like kind of mid-career, it's just another area of toil that they have yeah. to go through. So I, I have a project where we're, it's 10,000 lines of Helm chart. So yeah, it's a little tough <laughs> to say the least. Helm is not my favorite tool. I think I tend to be actually more partial to customize, but okay. So we're doing an application level abstraction and, and declaring our applications needs, right? In something yep. other than what would be Helm or Customize? Does that sound right? Am I saying, am I small, small rocking? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it doesn't replace necessarily my infrastructure tools. We're still riding on top of Kubernetes. Is Shippa designed strictly for Kubernetes or is it something that I can use with like regular Docker or other types of infrastructure? Yeah, Shippa is designed to use anywhere there's a Linux 
VM. It's not as popular for our customer use cases currently. So like it, how it was originally designed, they were like, yeah, we will run before and after and with Kubernetes. <laughs> and so like we, we designed it to be the product to be, to be modular. So if it's running Azure Compute or EC2, I can manage it. But pretty much 100% of our customers uh, are using it for Kubernetes based base abstraction. Okay. And so I saw on the website, like, Argo still used Terraform, like all the standard tools that someone's using for infrastructure are still all there. And we're hopefully saving the developer toil on something like a, a gigantic chart of charts, which is <laughs> something else I'm dealing with right now. Charts of charts, which your, your just, chart has a chart. Yeah. It's like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah. My chart controls other charts, which maybe have sub charts. The brain starts to hurt at some point. It's just way too complex. I saw that you had this blog article on one line developer experience. So what was the inspiration for this? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, my my favorite blog. I'll give you one more cheat. It was actually two lines. Someone pointed it out that there's a second <laughs> line. So I've been lying to people this 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 whole time. But according to the developer experience, think about either if you're a DevOps or system engineer, the experience that you're providing your internal customers, versus if you're a developer, what is your experience? Um, the going joke here would be. Your external customers don't care how you do anything. We could be running Netflix on the mainframe for all we for all yeah. our customers care. They don't really care, but there are a few people who will care. It would be your engineering team would care how something your internal customers do care how something is done because they're subject to it. You know, that, that could be a roadblock, it could be complications, it could be they have to learn about an LPAR. I'm just going harping on this mainframe example right now, but that where my back, you know, old now, like when, when I was actually going to production, just these, there's so many steps, right, for me to, to go. Or even if we're using a, a more modern CI, CD, or more modern CD stack, there is still a lot of like unknown. Hey, I can run one Maven command and build an image. Why do I have to run multiple commands and do a talk to someone to build me a pipeline? But why, why do I need to do that as an engineer? And so yeah. the art of the possible with Shippa is that. You can provide an engineer with two, two, I'll use two lines. So you, you only have to tell them is what ship abstraction and an image. Uh, now like a little bit different take is that common thing that happens in them also in the marketplace is that the per peripheral environment changes a lot. There might be a new IAC tool, like you know, mm -hmm. Terraform is, is king, but tools like Crossplane might come along or, or Pulumi and, and they, you know, Changes in the non-functional, how you deliver non-functional requirements will impact how the function producing team needs to deliver. For example, at, at Argo CD, GetOps is all the rage, but if you're going from something like Jenkins to Argo, or even there's a whole bunch of competition in the GetOps space, right? There's things like Flux, and, you know, the, the Solomon and Created Dagger. The, like there, there's right. all this stuff that's moving on. As you change those paradigms, you have to go rewrite a bunch of stuff, right? Oh, we need to make new, we have to describe it differently in the Argo composition, or we have to go do something yeah. else. And you know where that's going? It's going in the Helm chart. <laughs> it's, right. going, it's, getting stuck, it's getting stuck in there. And so the shift abstraction was the beauty. This is what brought me over to the company. Like when I had chat with Bruno, so our founder, I was like, ship is the same. I was previously working at Harness. He's like, yeah, I, I did this. I deployed in Harness and I deployed Argo. And it like, what the engineer saw was the same. I'm like, what? Tell me more, Bruno. Here we are. So here we are yeah. today. I'm over here. But I, I was just taken aback that that was what 
It's like, this is a problem. Yeah. And so you can expose two lines to somebody to change the name of the blog. So you just put two lines at somebody and that's it. They, they, they will never care if you use Flux, Argo, Dagger, Harness, yeah. Jinkadex, you know, Jinkadex itself. It, it doesn't matter because Shippa will, will uh, kind of ferret out that information for you. Yeah. I have to admit, I long for the days. So people that show up here regularly know that I, I was a diehard Swarm fan. I was like one of the last Swarm fans to finally give up on it. And I say give up on it. I mean give on Bonnet as a potential competitor for something like Kubernetes, like the ecosystem moved on, but it's still in Docker, it still works. All those people still running it, they're fine. Don't jump at me in comments. But one of the things I loved about the Docker file was, and this stuff wasn't always adopted by Kubernetes, but Docker kept putting more stuff in, like we got the ports at first, right? We got the commands and its options. Uh, obviously we got environment variables in there. So then we started getting stuff that was a little more runtime focused, not so much build time focused, where we got the ports. We could actually add in a health check, which Kubernetes ignores. And I was excited about that idea because for a little bit, I thought it was possible to give an application owner a single file that represents the things about their app that are sort of environment agnostic, like health checks, probes, all the different volumes they might need, the type of storage that volume might need, like read, write many, read, write once, read only. I thought that maybe that could be described in the app in this single file, whether it's a Docker file or whatever. And then we can maybe have a more ops only approach to things like Helm and some of these larger complicated YAML things that are very much about implementation of infrastructure, not about the application's requirements. So it sounds like maybe you're getting into that realm, which is exciting because we all love Compose because of its simplicity, but we're sad because we can't easily use it with Kubernetes. And then we're all sad about the, the complexity of Helm and, and to, a, to me, a lesser extent, Customize, which I think is honestly much easier for new people to consume than Helm. Uh, especially if you're not a Jinja or whatever the, the templating format of Helm is. I don't know how to say that word. But we've had like a hundred attempts at this, <laughs> right? Someone was tracking a spreadsheet four or five years ago about all the different ideas for templating essentially Kubernetes manifests. And there was, I think someone at Docker was doing this and they had up somewhere above 80 projects that were trying to do that. And we probably have five left. Like there's maybe five to 10 that are still... Uh, out there. So I think one of the challenges that you're thankfully dealing with is just that there doesn't seem to be a perfect approach. It's very much organizational sometimes or process oriented. Like the teams that I work with, they sadly are very dev and ops split still. These are bigger companies. They're not throwing a DevOps person in each team, you know, and they're not having like a cross-sectional slice of different types of engineers and different teams. So they still very much have the, we're the DevOps team, we're the dev team, this is the ops team. We're all still in our silos, but we're all trying to pretend to do DevOps. That's kind of the world that I live in. Whereas I wish everybody was just in one large kumbaya and you could switch back and forth. So I guess sort of that last question there is, are you trying to t come at this from a specific, like how flexible is this? Is this something where if I'm in an ops team and I'm strictly a Kubernetes administrator, I can leave Shippa to the developers that know the app and maybe they can possibly ignore Kubernetes manifest. Is that what we're going with this? Yeah, yeah, both are possible. If the developer or, or the, let's say the person producing the workload doesn't have to even carry goes to Kubernetes. That's it. They don't, it could be any better. It could be going to an LPAR for, for all they care, right? Shippa will kind of interrogate the Docker files. Oh, you meant to expose it here, here. So it will go and auto wire DNS and create a service for you and stuff like that. It, it's 
a little bit pazish in in that way, but that's it's pretty customizable. And, and also, like from a DevOps engineer, all they have to do is like, oh, let's go back to Netflix, my favorite company today. Like for let's say a tier two application, you know, this is not our movie playing application or rep, or ad application, but it might be you know like a logging application or something that's you know, like a tier two. You can just define really quick rules like, hey, you know what? If Robbie tries to deploy something, get, give Robbie a couple more replicas if he cares to or, or he or she cares to. Expose things like this and only pull an image from here. Like very like non-functionally requirements you have to deal with. Unfortunately, when you're going to Kubernetes, um, quick slide of the hand. I really miss Docker Swarm. You know, Swarm was fast, man. I'm going to probably get roasted for this. I used to work for Mesosphere. So like, okay. I used to work on DCOS. And so I was a little bit late to the Kubernetes game. I was trying to avoid it. It was long. I, I worked yeah. at Red Hat for a little while. Uh, this is that uh, one word. This is how Georgia I am. So like 2014, I heard someone talk about Docker for the first time and I had a blank look on my face. I was like, huh? What, what's a Docker? I thought they were talking about the pants. So yeah. I even told my boss, I was like, oh yeah, I went to Kohl's, got a Docker. And he's like, you are from the countryside, man. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> now I know it's a container format, but it took some time to figure out it was not a pants. Um, Right. I know. Not Docker pants. captain here. So Pro tip for those that, that don't know, Docker, I believe, has an agreement with Dockers that the one thing they're not allowed to create is pants. So when you go to their swag store, there's no pants. They can get buy shirts, you can get socks, you can get hats, you can get all these things probably. I don't know about hats actually. I don't have a dot how do I think about it? I don't know that I ever have a Docker hat. I have tons of Docker swag, but they I'd never had pants because supposedly I don't know if it's a rumor, if it's true, but <laughs> I was told by someone at some point from Docker that, yeah, we're not allowed to make pants. It's an agreement with our tr- that, with that, trademarks. Trademark. That, that is fair. Yeah. Like they are, they, they don't want to take on big pants. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah. I mean, I think what I liked was the idea that my container runtime had enough of the logic in that single Go binary to run my containers on more than one server like that to me is just a shame we couldn't figure out how to actually make the two compatible so that it wasn't a competitive it was more like hey you need this in simple environments and if you want to go more complex you can do this over here almost like a subset of the kubernetes api maybe i know sometimes people tell me well that's k3s or keys but no it's not like the helm chart's gonna be just as big the manifests have to be just as large it's just a single binary in my infrastructure but it doesn't change the complexity of how i have to encode all of my application requirements, right? So that's what I really think uh, a lot of us were hoping that Docker would release. They actually have a beta extension for Docker Compose now, which has got a new life as Docker Compose V2, which is built into the Docker CLI now. And there's a, a hidden extension that if you rebuild it from scratch, it actually will deploy to Kubernetes. So it translates your your Compose directly into, obviously it doesn't support everything in Kubernetes, but I kept like for years, I've been saying, release that, just release it right now, get the whole community behind it. Because I think they said there's like 800,000 compose files on uh, GitHub or something. So it's one of those things where people would maybe just try that. And then maybe they could use Kubernetes without having until it breaks and then they have to learn everything, but they could learn this another abstraction, but it never really took off. So it's, you know, or they, they Docker never really promoted it. So I've kind of given up on them doing that because I'm tired of asking. So let, maybe uh-huh. we need this other standard, I feel like. We need this other sort of commitment to application code that is got some serious traction. I worked in the AppSec space for like a year and a half. And so I took a break. And when I came back, Docker Compose was missing. I'm like, 
Does no one use it anymore? I, I was a, such a huge fan. Where did it go? No, Kubert, it's Kubernetes now. So. Yeah. That, that's so funny. I mean, I'm still glad to talk to you. Oh, yeah. It just vanished like, from what I was working on. Was, uh, well, to be fair, data. it's all about who, where, you, where you live in the ecosystem, right? Because we all live in this world that is not the actual world. We have our bias just by the people we know. And I'm biased because the, the companies that I consult with, they all use Compose. Like they're all using yeah. Kubernetes, but Kubernetes local, maybe someday we'll have like a super thin K3S setup, Rancher desktop maybe, but it needs to be able to automatically mount my volumes to my local code on my host OS, be very performant in the disk and have the load balancer and all these other things that Docker desktop does, right? But we're going to need all that before I can feel like I can really co comfortable with saying, yeah, everybody should develop on Kubernetes because I'm still not there. I use Kubernetes every day. I've got a bunch of test clusters at all times, but I don't ever want to develop in it. Like it is just not on my machine, at least not a pleasant development experience. Now there's all these great tools out there that let you, I know, scaffold. We got all these other ones that we can put them on remote servers and we develop locally and there's this seamless background thing, but I'm not always... I don't have those things. I don't always have servers to develop on. And so. Yeah, I get confused with all the tunneling, personally. Like, I suck yeah. at networking. I'll, I'll put it out there again. I suck. <laughs> I have to use things like Ngrok and Telepresence to, like, just tunnel out. I hope, hope my router doesn't turn off. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how concerned I am about networking. Um, uh, and, and it gets complicated, right? You're exactly right. Going from local, it's always, it's been a struggle. You know, I'm just lucky that my employers let me have a, GCP account that they will let me expect. <laughs> right. You know, once a month, right. But I cheat and use like GKE all the time. I, I do too. Yeah. I, I, I use yeah. DigitalOcean just because it's a one-liner and it's super easy and I have credits. So thank you for all those on the course that sign up. You give me credits that runs the infrastructure to get more people on the courses. Like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy there. All right. So let's jump Great. in. Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features, and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio-only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube Live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. Okay, so you mentioned Crossplane, which we've talked about on the show before, but we've had actually... Victor Farsik on several times to talk about Crossplane. He's a, he's a pretty big fan. I think he also now works for them. Yeah. And he, so for those that haven't seen it, like that's actually infrastructure managed by infrastructure, right? Like that's a pro it's a open source project. Am I correct? And it's allows you to deploy Kubernetes from inside Kubernetes. It almost treats Kubernetes as the state engine for deploying the infrastructure. Is that, am I describing it correctly? Yeah, I mean, that's fairly accurate. So, like, I'm a huge fan of Crossplane. I, I really like Crossplane. It's a Kubernetes-centric way of managing non-Kubernetes resources. There you so, go. That's a perfect... Uh, that's what I was looking for, is that elevator one-liner. It's a Kubernetes way of managing other things, rather than... So, Crossplane would replace Terraform in some cases, right? Potentially, yeah, yeah. And this is where, like, some of our customers come from. They're looking to slide around. We're looking to do a little bit more with Crossplane. We're still using Terraform. How do we keep it consistent for the developers? That's where Shipa comes in. So, yeah, there's still, I mean, there's the, their community, the Crossplane community is really vibrant. There's still a lot of stuff to figure out, right? Like, doing infrastructure the Kubernetes way for non-Kubernetes things certainly has its share of, of challenges that you might have, like, 
even we we see it internally like we're trying to use crosswind more and like order of operations can be difficult and stuff like that because you know what you tell kubernetes it's a declarative state you know, it's yeah. hard to influence but what order it does something right so if shippa is running in in your example shippa was using crossplane you said it was an extension or a plugin to, to crossplane so it's doing its work through crossplane which presumes that you have that right or that you're using that in your cluster that yeah, you, basically yeah. you already have crossplane but i'm assuming you have other ways that are not crossplane for shippa getting in your cluster so what are those ways because obviously crossplane is cross pretty new it's pretty pretty cool pretty fancy but i imagine a lot of people aren't using it yet and what other ways can i adopt shippa without needing crossplane yeah, yeah. The crossplane place is mainly if you're like using a GitOps type of model, like you want to deploy in a certain way, because like it will be like the ship on manifest, you know, our ours is like extremely watered now. It's not a fully it's not a ship will generate the manifest for you, but calling ship So you could use any, any sort of way. So Shippa is a control plane to a multiple server type of model, a multiple cluster. So you would first bound Kubernetes cluster to Shippa and it's you know one or two commands to kind of do that. And then Shippa will install some of these CRDs onto those clusters, but into, into those Kubernetes clusters, like the workload clusters, any which way that you can get to ship us, you can use Terraform, you can use Pulumi, you can use the, the ship of CLI, you can use ship API, you want to use rest calls. So there's like a lot, a lot of different ways into a cluster that's fronted by Shippa. Okay. Dealer choice. So I could have one Shippa account. And when you say to Shippa, you're talking about Shippa IO, like ship the SaaS, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we have two. We have an on-prem version, which okay. is self-hosted. And then also we have a SaaS. So it's oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, we have yeah. that option. And then, so I'm writing in sort of ship a language or I'm using the GUI or writing ship a YAML, but it's more concise, it sounds like, than if I did things manually in a Helm or in a straight up manifest or custom customized option, it sounds like. So I'm, I'm writing less YAML. I'm describing sort of the, all the needs of my app in one place, almost like Compose, right? That's kind of how the Compose idea was, you don't need a bunch of different files or a bunch of different YAML documents to describe one thing. And then I can choose my implementation, whether I already have Terraform or already have Crossplane or all the other things you mentioned. And then if I'm the ops person, so I'm going into the ship of console and I'm sort of like, it's almost like a Kubernetes dashboard. It feels like to me, like it's a little light uh, on the monitoring, which that's fine. It's just sort of a quick place to look at all the things. If I'm a developer, I can use the web GUI to walk me through it. So I don't have to learn the YAML. It sounds like, so I yep. can just, I can be an expert in my app and then it guides me through strangely. I'm sure there's other tools that have tried to do this and, and I'm just ignorant about them, but it does seem weird that we don't have enough things that walk us through making this stuff, right? Like everything just to, everyone just expects you to open up a YAML document in VS code and, and just use code hints to somehow <laughs> the documentation to figure out all the things. So that's kind of nice because a lot of times I think a great example, I think is probes and what was the other thing? Well, maybe let's just talk about probes. Most people don't add those in well, and resources like probes and resource requirements and limits and all yep. that stuff. Right? So unless you start linting or you're, you come from or experienced, or you have someone in your team that's experienced, those are things that come later once you realize you should have had them all along and you never yep. added them. But I love the idea of if I'm walking through these steps and it asks me, hey, do you have ways to monitor? We have these types. Or, and I didn't, I don't even remember your walkthrough if it had that or not. But those kinds of asks, I think, are really good for new teams because they, they don't realize 
that these are even concerns. In fact, when I bring people on the container runtimes at first, when they're first adopting Kubernetes, people that are adopting Kubernetes now or just doing it now are usually also kind of still tiptoeing into containers as well. And they're, I don't think they realize that we've created these ideas of abstractions, right? About storage, about networking. We have all these abstractions and requirements. As an industry, we've come together and said, okay, we need to describe your persistent volumes, which I don't know about you, but like 10 years ago, no one was asking me about persistent volumes or you know volume persistent anything, right? It was just, I need disk. This is where I'm going to put my stuff. It's your ops yeah. team's job to back it up. Like you just tell them have, that folder needs to back up. You have an Isilon. Yeah, we got, we got five of those. We paid Dell $6 million, one, one, one million each, you know, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> we have three storage, yeah. And we all had different ways of describing the requirements and then to make a solution. Do I need rewrite many? Do I need NFS storage? I mean, we had all that stuff, right? And it was complex. And we've now got, and I, someone recently described Kubernetes as a set of, they actually described it as a consistent platform with a set of restrictions that the developer can choose from for how they implement their architecture. I always thought of Kubernetes as this thing that gave us capabilities, but I never really thought of it from the point of the opposite point of view is it's really just giving us a set of restrictions so that we can't just do everything that's possible in the world. We have to do it these ways or we can't do it at all. And I love that approach of giving people a GUI option. So I'm assuming you're like this, your app works like this, but I'm very much a fan of hoping the trend continues of giving everyone the option to write the YAML or the code itself, the HCL, whatever we're writing. But if I want to do it from a GUI, like I need to make a one-off change or I need to make a copy of something and then just change a few things to deploy a different app that I don't have to do this in code, that I can do it in a GUI and the GUI will save it for me in Git or provide me a way to get it into Git. That's, that's like, my sort of my almost like 2022 checkoff list for any new tool. Is that kind of how this pro is approach is happening when you're doing it? Can I do, can I use the GUI? And then it also saves that for me. There will be a little bit of a disconnect between which, which IAC you choose. Cause you know, okay. if you're storing like your HCL, if you're authoring something in Terraform and saving that and get, you know, versus like you're saving it like in a cross plane manifest, like they're going to be different languages. So there's not a consistent place uh, kind of. It's almost like that, right? Kind of what we would pitch would be like, hey, no matter how you get into Shippa, you can get into Shippa, right? You can do it six different ways if you care to. At certain points, certain things make sense. Hey, it might make sense for us to be more static with how the frameworks are defined because if you go into the GUI and you get ops the whole thing, the auto healing will kick on at the back end and really confusing things. Yeah. Like that, that type of stuff will occur, right? At least you know the auto healing is occurring on you versus oh, some of you might do the last mile. Okay. Give the last mile to the developer, the, the final deployment object, store that in, in cross plane, because then it makes sense to go and try to do something else with it. Like then the auto healing would kick on or the appropriate piece yeah. of the journey. And so it's, it's kind of like dealer's choice. Like you can author things as you choose, but like the internal ship implementation is still internal. Like how ship it decides that. So. Oh, okay. Okay. We have a question, uh, not really related, but Close enough. If I change any values, settings, config map, storage, replicas on Shippa, will it override the YAML of Kubernetes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So assuming that you have a brand new application, it's not, not already running on your cluster. Shippa will, should be managing that for you, right? And so if you, you know, add another volume, another PVC will be kind of authored and attached to the pod and stuff like that, added to the pod spec and whatnot. On your behalf, by, by Shippa. So, so yes, if you have a very 
complicated, like, you know, d- deployment that you're already feeding ship and you already said, oh, we already launched like several hundred lines of YAML. You know, it, it, it might be or might not be a good fit saying, ah, why don't you decompose why, why you did that? Or, you know, you can amend. There's just another file. There's like a backup. There is a ship of YAML. The catch all if you, if something has to go uh, right like that, but it, it would be the same way that if you went to QTTL and had conflicts in, in like the YAML's first to get picked. I forget how it resolves, resolves those kind of Kubernetes, how it resolves it, depending on what type it is. It's like first to get picked up or it's a last to get picked up, but it would yeah. be, it would take it more Kubernetes to understand what the uh, culture might be. Yeah. I think the short answer for him is yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, 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 I'm yes. guessing. I'm it guessing helps. yes. Yeah, like you change it. It's translating this, right? Because at the end of the day, doesn't matter what we're doing on Kubernetes. Like it's like it's got to turn into a Kubernetes manifest at some point for the API to to consume it, right? Or something that's consuming it as a different type of resource has got to translate it and and convert it into that final API spec. Which I will remind you all on the internet that I've been saying for years that. One of the things that I was waiting for, like I was on the Swarm bandwagon and waiting for Kubernetes because I was waiting for the single layer above the manifests because the, the original authors were saying that we, we never really created the Kubernetes manifest as something that developers would interact with. It was always a more of a the raw API for infrastructure purposes that comes in, but they always expected another layer on top, like Shippa, like Compose, whatever, you know, pick your tool of that translates itself into manifest, right? So I've always been looking for more of those that are sort of have all the right concepts and are getting a foothold in the community because I too, I teach Kubernetes to, to, to developers and I feel sorry that I have to explain all this drudgery of YAML and all these nuances that they have, but I just described my little container in 10 lines of Compose YAML. I was like, yeah, well now it's gonna be a thousand lines of Kubernetes. <laughs> yeah, you're just gonna have to do all that in a way more ver- verbose format. And you're gonna have to learn about selectors and probes and like, mounts versus volumes and how those are different. And like, you just go down all this, all these different layers and you lose a lot of people. It's a point at which in all of my courses and when I do workshops, I have to like, remind them don't lose hope <laughs> you know your kubernetes is our only hope like obi-wan would say actually that was uh leia so leia yeah luke you're our only hope so i almost screwed up my star wars reference because i i feel strongly about this stuff and i'm glad i had you on the show and we talked about this because i do think there's a lot of room here for these middle layers that aren't necessarily, I mean, things like cross-plane are really cool because it's rethinking the ideas again of infrastructure and how we manage that. And we could always use easier management for infrastructure. But I think that as much as I want to, I would love to say that we're all on the same team and that dev and ops are all managing these YAMLs together. The reality is we've all, we're all already 100% busy. Like we all already are consuming 40 hours or more a week of work. So it's hard to look at people and say, yeah, you need to edit more YAML. And when I look at my big projects that I work with teams on, I always expected the Docker file to be the focus of the developer, right? Like that, I always felt like that was where they started the contract between them and ops and that they were passing that forward. But what I end up seeing in most of the larger teams is that those Helm charts, which is usually what they end up doing instead of customized, sadly, or something else like Chippa, they, there's so much churn in those, like those repositories get more action than sometimes the code itself. Because as people implement new concepts in their code, 
they're always having to add more and more YAML or change the YAML or do something that's, I think, very application-specific, but they're doing it in Helm charts that feel much more infrastructure-focused than application-focused. And I, it makes me sad. It makes me sad. So I'm glad we're experimenting with this. Oh, I definitely had an aha moment because I think yeah. anytime I can give someone an opportunity to create Kubernetes applications without them having to learn the whole spec or even a subset of the spec, which is still a lot, I think that's an opportunity for us to improve it and just improve the relationship, I think, between developer and operations. Because I think this trend recently, in these last five or so years of continually giving devs more infrastructure responsibility. I think there's a breaking point there that some some teams have reached that, right? They're, they're fed up. I'm fed up with my infrastructure management because I come from that ops background. So I sympathize because that's a reason we have to have operations people is because devs, it's not that they can't do everything. It's not like they're not smart enough to do everything. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And you're we, we all have other stuff we want to learn. So a dev wants to learn the next framework or the next version of their language, not necessarily a whole bunch of new infrastructure tools. And so I really get excited about these tools in the middle that are solving some of the harder, the gray area, right? So it's been fun. Where yeah. else can people get started? Yeah, if you wanna learn more about Shippa, just head to www.shippa.io. You can sign up for a free forever account, deploy something, check it out, see how you like it. We're always open for feedback. You could join our Slack workspace. I mean, we just love chatting with people and interacting with people, you know, really seeing know what what the community has to say and so yeah just uh, feel free to click that sign up button right there it's use one of your nice oh did we answer the questions about oam and open api i want to make oh, sure oh yeah let me, let's, let's grab those too so yeah so like oam like open application model is like something from microsoft and so it, it, it's it, the kind of the end vision of that is a cncf project called cube fella there, there is some overlap right like they're trying to abstract things away cube fella is more of a workflow engine Right. So it, it's hard for me to discern, like, this is a CD kind of workflow versus a cube fellow type mm. of workflow. A, a joke I like to tell, I see that Bruno is on here. So our CEO, so I'll make more jokes now since he's here. If Shippa, like if you, there's two projects that if they had a kid, it would look like Shippa. There's Spotify's backstage from a developer experience and then cube Vela. If like they had a child, they would, they would be a Shippa. <laughs> a ship of baby. So that's kind of how I like to explain it to folks. I'm like, oh yeah, we kind of get that. Like, oh, we, we see that the hyper focus on the developer experience and then also the abstraction that something like Kubernetes people would provide. Yeah. Well, it's, definitely, it's definitely one of the things that Docker nailed out of the box, right? Was DX. That's what I think one of their, one of their, their most fundamental wins that really, I think, attracted people to them because there are those people that and I sometimes am one of them, that, but not always, that love to nerd out on all the geeky details. And I start when using Netcat to really break down the packets on my network. But often, ain't nobody got time for that. That's also the, my, I have both sides. So we, we need better DX, we need better experiences so that we can move to higher levels of abstraction, like making more apps and connecting them all together rather than focusing all the mundane details. So the other question is, is AAC similar to open API? Which I get, I didn't no. know this, but I guess that's Swagger. Yeah, yeah, we, we have Swagger and Oxford API for sure, but no, they're different concepts, right? You know, application as code is like kind of a construct that you'll hear that from the Kubella folks and whatnot too. Like it's kind of this way of like higher level application abstraction. So right, this is what the app has to do versus like very granular declarative steps to kind of feed to Kubernetes. Yeah. Okay. Last question: What is the roadmap and vision of Shippa? 
Oh, we have both. We have vision and roadmap. So good. <laughs> check check the watch that. We're just hyper-focused on a couple of things, just mainly engineering efficiency and developer experience. Those are two wide paintbrush items. Like, absolutely. But we're really trying to make Kubernetes an afterthought. I think lots of us at Shipfo that were scarred by Kubernetes at some point. <laughs> and so we're just really trying to make it easy so everyone can consume it. It's a great platform, Kubernetes itself, and this, how do you get more folks uh, on it? Like lowering the barrier of entry. I always like role play. Like I just learned some JavaScript today. Uh, it's, I want to get out of my browser into Kubernetes. There's a lot, a lot of room <laughs> between you, right? Yeah, there's a lot to learn, my young friend, with that. And that's what we're finding. We will make it so simple that anybody should be able to go to it and also be able to enforce policies around it. And kind of like our end goal, actually one of our early customers pointed this out to us that one of their engineering goals was like, they want to make a Google Cloud run or AWS app runner type experience, but internally, and they want to make it that easy. And that's like, that was like another aha moment for us. Like, oh yeah, that's what we've been doing, but we haven't really said it like that, but we're just continuing to march on uh, making the product easier to use, making it more robust and also making sure that even folks who have very complicated setups, a lot of our early customers are in actually very heavily regulated areas. You know, they're in private clusters. There are places that are confusing even to me how the networking, you know, have some understanding. I don't really much, but they're behind like two or three DMZs and they're like a private net, like <laughs> VPC. We're making it easier. So even those developers, they don't have to get an ops person to spend two days with them explaining all the networking stuff they had to go through before that. So that's, yeah, that's for the product of them. Nice. That's the thing about networking is it, it's kind of like hardware nowadays. You can ignore it until it stops working. And then suddenly you realize <laughs> you need to learn more about how to troubleshoot networking. Like <laughs> I've been doing networking for 30 years and I still, I'm like, oh boy, I, I need to go back and do refresher. I, I feel like I need to redo the certifications I did all those years ago in Cisco because it's so fundamental. It's more important now than ever. It just happens to be more reliable than ever. And so we can kind of tend to ignore it until we can't. It also shows some of the complexity that we're trying to fight, right? Like I, I am a little bit of a pessimist about shifting everything left. I, I'm a little bit pessimistic about this full lifecycle developer concept that, you know, you write it, you run it, or you build it, you own it, like, or operate it type of model. Yeah. And, and it's really hard. Like just harping on networking concepts. I gave another talk about why shifting left is hard to compare it to maybe some cat, like why, why are you doing that? It's like, well, let's take networking. Just because Istio, I can write an Istio YAML, doesn't mean I'm a networking expert. I need help. I, right. I, there needs to be some dissemination of the expertise, right? It's like, and what, what, you know, in generic sense, it's happening. Like, oh, it's uh, developers like code. We, we're used to configuration on our load balancer or whatever. Let them figure it out. And, that, and there's just so much like shift up storage. Yeah. You know, with C C CSI, CNI, everything you could describe. And it's like, I'm not an expert, you know, or yeah. you know, most, and it's hard to disseminate the expertise. That's what we're fighting also. So, yeah, that's the thing about shifting left is if you're going to shift left, you have to create that developer experience that makes it so much more digestible and, you know, tools that build the networking rules for you by you just saying, Hey, here's my apps. I already described the ports in them. Here's the ones I got to talk to. And you like you showed in there, like the drop-down list, the clicky. I think of things in terms of ports and IPs. And like, I grew up that way. I was the one back in the 90s that was implementing IP-based networks over top of old networks like NetBuoy and Novell Netware and all these other non-Ethernet-based ideas. And I'm that way by default. But so many people are getting into this game now 
They just know the internet exists. It's all worked for them. They maybe know what a gateway is and they can write apps and never have to know any of that until the day it breaks. Yeah. So yep. it's always hard to have tools like that. Well, this has been great. And I, we could go for another hour, no doubt, talking <laughs> about this stuff. So I'm looking forward to hearing more news on the future of Shippa. Robbie, thanks so much for being on the yeah. show. People can reach you on your Twitter down there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, questions. absolutely. And you can go t sign up for a free Shippa account. Com. Just a heads up, I do talk about barbecue a lot. So just if y'all don't see a lot about Kubernetes, you'll see about barbecues. <laughs> that sounds like a podcast, Kubernetes Barbecue. It just sounds like a podcast name. Yeah. Or maybe barbecue or Kubernetes. Maybe you ask the title as a question and that becomes your podcast. Well, lastly, you, I, gave a fake, I gave a fake talk called comparing Korean barbecue to Kubernetes. Because <laughs> we had a conference a couple years ago and I had plenty of people like, these are sample presentations, like how to structure something. And I was like, I could write whatever I want because I'm the chair of the conference. So I did Korean barbecue versus Kubernetes and uh, do's and don'ts of both. So actually, awesome. it was hilarious. Yeah. 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 I did a talk once similar, very similar to that. That was like, what's more interesting, how bad your passwords are or cat memes or something like that. It was like a random talk, but basically I was trying to entertain people while teaching them how to make better passwords. It was more for consumers, but I knew that they were going to be bored like they would pay attention for about 60 seconds if I just talked about passwords. So I had to make it interesting. So I just did a bunch of cat memes and then flipped it back and forth to try to keep the topic going. Anyway, you got to do some talks like that sometimes. I think we need more talks like that in IT, just entertainment with a little bit of knowledge rather than all the knowledge. Yeah. Maybe not barbecue though. I'm more of a sous vide guy. I'm a big sous vide fan. All right. Thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. We'll see everybody next time. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.